that. So today I am, uh, today I have the privilege of kicking off a sermon series for you guys that we are calling Tell the Greatest Story. And, you know, when we're talking about Tell the Greatest Story, what we're saying, this, this sermon series in essence is about you guys going out and telling your personal story to others who aren't Christians. And you need to make sure that when you tell your story, that your story actually also tells the greatest story, which is the story, of course, of Jesus Christ. So the way that we're going to do this, Bill mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I'll tell you again the way we're doing this. The three pastors uh, amongst the two churches, so WordServe and First Fulcher, we're going to rotate here over the next three weeks. So today you guys have me. Next week you're going to have Alex Lupo from First Fulcher come speak to you. And then finally, uh, two weeks from now, Bill Hogan's going to come back. He's going to wrap this whole thing up. And I want to give you a little warning first about this sermon series. So basically an idea was floated to do this, but each one of us are uh, pastors, we said, you know what, we're just going to take that topic of talking about, you know, telling your story, and then we're just going to go wherever the Spirit leads us, you know? So each one of us, I have no idea what Bill's going to say. I have no idea what Alex is going to say. They don't know what I'm going to say today. So my prayer is that when this whole thing is over, the Holy Spirit makes, makes us look good, and this actually looks like a cohesive kind of thing. doesn't look like a dumpster fire, but uh, you guys are going to be the judge of that. So anyway, we'll see what happens. So I tell you, when we decided to talk about this topic of kind of mobilizing the people in the church to go out and to share their story, you know, what we in the church call, you know, sharing your personal testimony, when we talked about that and we said, you know, we want to mobilize people to go out there and do that kind of thing, I, I got to admit, my first reaction to that is I, I sort of, I cringed a little bit. It, it made me a little bit nervous, a little bit concerned. And here's, I'll tell you why. Have you guys ever seen the movie uh, Karate Kid 3? Yeah, see, most of you didn't even know that Karate Kid 3 even existed, right? So you, I bet you all saw the original Karate Kid, right? Fantastic movie. That's like a, one of those huge movies. Everybody saw it. It's a classic. And then, you know, because that movie made way too much money, they couldn't stop there, so they had to make a sequel to it. And the second one, you know, was pretty good. It was, it was okay, if you saw that. Um, but I think it's pretty hard to catch lightning in a bottle twice, right? So I think a lot of people checked out at that point. But they weren't done, you know, they made some more movies. So later on, uh, I found out that they made a movie and apparently the Karate Kid doesn't even have to be a dude, right? I think about it, that's not gender specific, right? So later on, they made a movie and that actress Hilary Swank, um, she was the Karate Kid in one movie. And then later on, they did another one where it was like a reboot with Jackie Chan and Will Smith's son. And they were the Karate Kid. And you know, so you're thinking, okay, I think they've, I think they've stretched this as much as they can. But now they have a TV show, right? Like 30 years later, Cobra Kai, any of you guys watch that show? So some of you are nodding your head, you like that show. Um, apparently everybody from the first movie, they brought them all back. They brought all the original characters back and uh, now they're all married and they have kids. And, and apparently, you know, they're still managing to get in karate fights as 50 year olds. I, I don't know, I don't, <laughs> I don't watch the show so I really don't know how it works, but... Um, so anyway, so that is a lot more Karate Kid than I thought was ever possible, you know? That franchise really has some legs to it, apparently. But the thing is, out of all of that stuff I just told you, the least known of all of those things is Karate Kid 3. And I think it bombed big time at the box office, and the movie wasn't very good, so I think everybody's just kind of trying to pretend it, it never existed. So when I think about churches, 
getting Christians all excited to go out there and share their testimony, which, which is normally a good thing, but it, it makes me a little nervous, like I said, and it immediately makes me think of the Karate Kid 3, that movie. Because I'll tell you, in that movie, the people from the first movie who Daniel got the better of, of course, they're very upset. They can't move on with their life. You know, a high school karate tournament has defined their life. They cannot move on from that. So they got to get revenge on this guy. So, you know, they, what they do is they, they, they go Daniel into re-entering another karate tournament. And only this time, what the bad guys do is they hire this ruthless, like, karate expert, karate champion to take him on. He's going to meet Daniel in that tournament, and he's going to com completely humiliate him, and he's going to take his championship belt away from him, and they can all live ha happily ever after, I guess. Well, Mr. Miyagi, for those of you who have seen the movie, you know who Mr. Miyagi is. He's Daniel's mentor and teacher. He sort of sees what's up with all this, and he's like, I don't have any part of it. So he refuses to train Daniel. So Daniel then is forced to go looking for another teacher. And what happens is the bad guys somehow manage, part of their nefarious plan is they steer Daniel towards this karate teacher whose secret intent is to set Daniel up for failure. So this teacher, he has Daniel trained, and he tells him, you got to forget all that wax on, wax off, defense stuff. Forget about that. Karate is all about inflicting pain on people. That is the sole purpose of karate. You got to inflict damage. So he just has Daniel hit these boards over and over again. That's just, that's the sum total of his training. Just punch and kick these boards. And so Daniel thinks that sounds good. So he does that over and over and over again. And finally, he gets to the point where he's so strong, he like breaks the board. And the teacher's jumping up and down. And the teacher pumps him up and tells him, you know, you're ready. You're ready to take on the world. And Daniel leaves out of that dojo and he's like super confident and he's ready to go. He's going to win this tournament. And then what happens is when Daniel and Candle en encounters his adversary for the very first time, uh, the guy uh, completely kicks the tar out of him. Like this guy just mops the floor with Daniel. It's pathetic, you know? And Daniel gets completely destroyed. It's not even a contest. He wasn't equipped to deal with this guy at all. And Daniel went out and he's full of all this false bravado. And then what happens is because he's unprepared, he sort of gets his butt kicked for it, okay? So I tell you this because just to be real, um, I don't want to pump you up here today and tell you that you can just work on your personal testimony and then, you know, send you out on fire and then find out later that you got completely humiliated by a 20-year-old woke college student, you know, who you decided to tell your story to and they, and they threw it right back in your face. So you walk into that kind of thing unprepared and the only thing that you're going to accomplish is that person you're trying to tell your story to they're probably going to become even more hardened towards the church and towards Christianity. And then what may happen to you is you may get discouraged so much to the point that you decide, I'm never going to try to evangelize again. Now, obviously, we don't want any of that to happen, right? You all seem like nice people. I want you to do well. So all I'm saying is that as we talk about this, about sharing our stories, we just want to be smart about all of this. So today, we're talking about telling our story, but also I want to talk about sort of evangelism in general and how it works in 2023. So let's see if we can figure out some ways of maybe being more successful when we share our story, because evangelism, it's tricky business these days, right? That's why a lot of people don't even try. Now, to start off with, we got to look to what, what does the Bible say to us about evangelizing, about sharing your personal testimony? Well, it says this, the Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, 
But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, you know, you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So I look at that and a couple of thoughts immediately come to my mind. First of all, Peter says that you got to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks. Now, I don't interpret that as Peter telling me to go walk up to a total stranger on a street corner, you know, who's late for work, who's just trying to catch a bus, and then I'm going to grab him and stop him and interrupt him and spring some kind of 60-second gospel presentation on him that I've memorized. I think unless your goal is to be shouted at or possibly assaulted, you know, if you're trying to get the cops called on you, then by all means go out and evangelize in this manner. I don't think it's going to work very well for you. I don't think it's effective whatsoever. And I think really the only thing that kind of thing tends to do most often is make people hate Christians in the church even more. But I'll tell you, at least if you go out there, a lot of people do it that way because they say, at least I can say I'm doing something. You know, I'm better than all those Christians who just sit there and don't try to evangelize at all. Well, I think there's another way to do it. So I think the implication of what Peter is saying is that you are, are, you're at least supposed to be in some kind of dialogue with a person first. And then at some point in that dialogue, they will ask you, or in other words, they will prompt you to tell them about Jesus or tell them why you follow Jesus. And so from there, then, of course, it seems like the appropriate time to then share your story. Now, the second thing I noticed about what Peter was saying is that you must be ready at a moment's notice to give this story because it's true, you may never know when someone's gonna ask you about Jesus. But in that moment, you have to be able to give the reason for the hope that you have. So I'll tell you, the way a lot of people interpret this is that they think, you know what? I gotta be ready when the moment comes. So I'm gonna develop a you know, 60-second gospel presentation that I have it's well thought out and in this, I got to unpack the theology of Christ and the theology of salvation. And I, you know, this has got to cover the entire scope of the Bible. It's got to be efficient. It's got to be digestible. It's got to be effective. I got to do all this in 60 seconds because I may not have more time than that with this person. And, and I'm telling you, when I tell them that, that I work, I, I work so hard on this, they're going to hear that and they're going to be blown away. It's going to change their life right there in the moment. Total stranger. Um, well, I think if that's what you think Peter is telling us to do, I think you're missing the mark. Because Peter says that you have to be ready to give the reason for the hope that you have. In other words, you have to be, be able to articulate why you are a Christian. Okay? You, you have to be able to tell someone how your life has been improved by knowing Jesus. It has to be personal. So if you can't articulate that to somebody without memorizing a script, then I tell you, that may mean that maybe your life actually hasn't changed all that much since being a Christian. Maybe you don't really know Jesus as well as you thought you did. And I'll tell you, if you, if you can't, you know, tell someone from personal experience what God has done for you in a believable way, well, then you go out and you start sharing your testimony, the, the obvious lack of certainty that you have, the lack of credibility that you have, it's not going to inspire anybody. You're not changing anybody's life. So yes, telling your story in a way that allows people to see that you didn't just memorize a script, but rather that the gospel is actually personal for you, that you can articulate easily from multiple different ways how God actually changed your life, 
Well, of course, that is an integral part of the evangelism process. But hear, what I, hear the language I just used there. I used the phrase evangelism process. I did that on purpose because today, sharing Christ, that's more of a process than it's ever been. Getting somebody to accept Jesus for the first time is something that's not going to happen overnight. So if telling your story is an important part of the process, well, then I guess the question for today would be, well, then when is the right time to share my story? How do, how do I know when it's the right time? Well, to help us out with this, there are two guys, Don Everts and Doug Schaup. They researched that question and a whole bunch of other questions about evangelism, and they published their findings in a book that was called I Once Was Lost. And in their study, what they found in all their research, they found that there's actually five thresholds that people pass through before they become a Christian. Someone who's not a Christian at all, there's these five kind of steps that they have to go through before they become a Christian. And we've got it up there on the screen. I don't know if you can see it. So basically, it's trusting a Christian to then wondering about a Christian, opening up to change, then seeking after God, and then entering into the kingdom, meaning somebody accepts Jesus and converts to Christianity. So taking a look at that, to me, what the big revelation in that is, is that people won't even begin to even wonder about Jesus let alone become open to hearing about him or accepting him, you know, so that he can change their life. They won't do any of that until they first meet a Christian that they can actually trust. That's the first step in the whole process. So, you know, if you want to be an evangelist today and you want to go out and you want to save the world and you want to turn all those atheists into Christians, you know, and, and, and win all these souls for God, well, the thing that you should be most worried about, and in fact, the only thing you should care about in the beginning is building, tr you know, trusting relationships with people. Now, let me ask you, how long does it take to develop a trusting relationship between two people? How long does it take? One, one two months, okay. So there's no, we know there's no set amount of time, right? You know, it's going to depend on the person. It's different for everybody. But do you think we can confidently say that it doesn't happen in 60 seconds? You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it takes eight minutes just to get abs, right? <laughs> it's one of my dad jokes. I had to throw one in. 30 minutes to take a decent nap, okay? So imagine how long it's going to take to actually build trust between you and somebody else. So if you actually have a relationship with somebody and they will come to trust you, well, something tells me they're going to give you more than a minute to share a little bit about what's most important to you in your life. Okay, you'll, you'll have built enough of a relationship by that point. Of course, they're going to listen to you. So I will tell you, I say this, you know, I'm, I'm a little sorry if you spent all that time at your previous church and the Baptist church memorizing that elevator speech. You know, some of you are laughing because you probably did that somewhere else where you memorize a 60-second speech. You may, not, you may be on the elevator with somebody, and you just turn to them and you start telling them about Jesus. And, you know, um, and you may only have 60 seconds between the 11th floor and the first floor or something. I, I'm sorry, you, you may not ever get to use that speech. And, and if you do, I, I, I don't think it's going to work for you. So I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that. Anyway, so evangelism isn't accomplished in 60 seconds. And unfortunately, sharing the gospel today, it's a lot harder than it used to be. So back in the day, 
like in my, in my parents' day and my grandparents, like in their generation in this country, there was a positive, you know, societal pressure that was sort of pushing everybody into the church. So if you didn't know what you thought about Jesus or anything else, there was sort of this subtle societal pressure sort of pushing everybody towards God and towards the church. But that doesn't exist today. That's been gone for a long time. It's totally gone. Today, the church is perceived by most people to be an enemy of society, not a friend. That's why this trust factor is so important because people are more hardened today than they used to be. They don't trust Christians. They don't trust the church. They don't trust you. So that has to be overcome first. So the implication of all of that is that you can have the greatest testimony that any human being has ever had. And in this story that you share, it may be that uh, in your life during your career as a circus performer, okay, you were also a hardcore atheist who hated God. You were addicted to alcohol, heroin, tobacco, gambling, everything you can be addicted to, you were addicted to. And then one day in a sort of peculiar twist of fate, you lose both your legs in a tragic bass fishing accident, okay? The story's just getting more and more convoluted as you go. And in the midst of your depression and your you know, despair and all this, Jesus appears to you and he shares with you the gospel and you accept him and he forgives you and you immediately run out and you build the world's largest hospital for disadvantaged children. Is that a pretty good story? I bet you none of your stories are going to be that interesting or that crazy. The thing is, you could have a story that crazy, that interesting about how God changed your life. And yet, if you share it with that person before you've established a real relationship and a real trust, they're not going to accept it at all. It's going to be completely wasted on them. Doesn't matter whether it's true or not. That's beside the point. And see, and even worse than that, you spring in that story on them prematurely before the time is right, that's going to make them think, you know what? The only reason this person was talking to me, they've been anxious this whole time. They just want to tell their story. They just want to close the deal. I'm just another project for them. You know, all they wanted to do was sell me something that I don't even want. So you got to take your time, relax. There's no rush, right? You don't have to be in such a rush to tell your story. You don't have to close the deal right away. As far as I know, salvation is not on sale right now, right? There's no two for Tuesday special I'm aware of. Price isn't going to go up tomorrow. So, you know, you're not selling a used car, so you can take your time. I promise you. See, think about this. In the 18th proverb, we are told that fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. That's verse 2. Later in verse 13, it says, to answer before listening, well, that is folly and shame. So I guess one thing amongst many I would want you to walk away from today, you know, when it comes to evangelism is this, that yes, it's important to be able to share a compelling testimony. But it's far more important and far more effective to be a good listener first. So you need to care more about what the other person has to say before you say what you want to say. You got to listen to their story and try to understand before you get so concerned about sharing yours. That's what I would say. <clears throat> so is that the only thing I need to warn you guys about? Like, is that the only 
thing that makes evangelism tricky these days is just people don't build trust first. Is that all there is to it? I wish that was the case, but unfortunately, it gets a little more complicated than that. So I shared those two verses from, with you from uh, the 18th proverb about listening before you speak, and I shared that with you for a reason. It isn't that listening is just a nice, like, polite thing to do. No, it's that when it comes to evangelism today, listening is not just nice, it's essential. You got to understand that even after you establish trust with somebody, and even when the time is right, maybe they ask you, hey, why do you follow Jesus? All of that may happen perfectly, like I'm lining up for you. And then you may tell them your story. And you still get blindsided by the fact that your story has absolutely no effect on them. It falls completely flat. And then you're very puzzled and you're like, I have no idea what is going on. Well, think about this. So I'm 49 years old. I accepted Jesus. I think I was like 27 years old at the time. So that, that would have been right around the turn of the century. So right around like 2000, 2001, that's when I accepted Jesus for the first time. Now, I accepted Jesus for a lot of the same reasons that my parents and my grandparents' generation accepted Jesus. What it was is I was wrestling with guilt, and I discovered that the source of my guilt was that I was not as good of a person as I thought I should be, and that bothered me. And so I thought the meaning of life was to be good. And because I wasn't as good as I should be, well, this secretly brought me a great deal of distress, a lot of guilt. And so then it was, you know, society and then some friends that were Christians, they sort of steered me towards Jesus in the church. And I discovered Jesus was the only one who could forgive me and remove this burden of guilt from my life. Now, does that resonate with any of you guys? If you accepted Jesus at some point in your life, any of the stuff about guilt and not feeling like you were as good as you should be? Yeah, I tell you what, when I go next week and I go over to First Fulcher, where we have all these retired people, people in their 70s and 80s, I'll tell you what, that message is going to ring true for them big time. It's going to resonate. They're going to relate. So I can take this truth that was in my life about how I came to know Jesus and what motivated me to seek him out, and then I can put all of that into a well-crafted testimony. And then I can actively seek opportunities to maybe go out and meet some people who aren't Christian. So let's say that I decide that I want to find a place where I can go find some 20-something-year-olds and hang out. That's going to be really hard. I'm 49, so how can I do that in a way that's not weird and creepy? Uh, I had to think about this. I had to think about this. But you know what? I used to play soccer. And I thought, you know what? They have a lot of like co-ed, like recreational soccer leagues with people and stuff. I could go join one of those mixed ages and there'd be a lot of young people in that. And that would be maybe my way to meet some new people. So let's say I do that. I join that. And over time, after the other people get past, you know, making fun of me because I'm the 49-year-old guy in the group, you know, after they get past that, maybe they eventually invite me out and I accept their invitation to go out and you know, go to a restaurant or whatever and, and sit around and share stories. So let's say that after months of this, the right time finally comes for me to share my story and we're like at Applebee's after a game or something and everybody's sitting around, they're having a drink or whatever they're having and they finally ask me why I'm a Christian. 
And so let's say I lay it on them and I pour my heart out and I'm so proud of my story and I can't wait to see their reaction. And then it's just like crickets. They don't want to be, they don't want to be mean to me, but it, it, they, they have this look on their face like what I just said was terrible. See, the problem when you're sharing your personal testimony, you can't just have one script, one story that you come up with that's going to work for all people in all situations. You have to consider the audience that you're speaking to. See, what you don't realize is that your personal testimony was based on certain assumptions that don't exist anymore. You talked about being riddled with guilt and how you perceive that you weren't as good as you should be and that Jesus and the church saved you from that. And what you don't realize is that many of those 20-somethings that you're talking to, they've grown up in a culture that says the church is bad. The church is an oppressor. They don't believe the meaning to life is to figure out how to be good. No, they think the, the meaning to life is to find your true authentic self. Better yet, it's to create your true authentic self. So in their minds, they would say, you know what? If you felt guilt in your life, it's because the church made you feel that way. There was nothing wrong with you. You didn't have anything to be guilty about. It was just that society was suppressing this inner being inside of you, and you just needed to rid yourself of the chains and the oppressors so you can go out and be free to express who you really are without guilt. So you see, you're going to get nowhere talking to young people about guilt about how you felt guilty, about how you had to overcome your guilt. That may work with the 45 to 90-year-old crowd, but it's not going to work with the 20-somethings. They don't want to hear that stuff because they don't feel there's anything a person needs to feel guilty about. So it's entirely possible you just spend all that time trying to be intentional and be thoughtful about how you're going to share Jesus, and then the moment comes, and you end up fumbling the football, and you have no idea why. So what can you do? Well, maybe you're starting to realize that this isn't your grandmother's evangelism anymore today, right? Sharing the gospel of Jesus to a super woke, you know, secular humanistic culture tends to get a little complicated, right? It used to be a lot easier back in the 1960s when you told people about Jesus, but it ain't that day anymore. Our methods have to change. Our whole mindset has to change. The gospel is still the gospel, so we don't compromise that or water it down, but we may have to present it in a new light. So I want to give a lot of credit for what I'm saying and what I'm about to say to a guy named Tim, Tim Keller. I don't, have any, uh, any of you familiar with his work? <coughs> Excuse me. So Tim Keller just died recently, great loss to the Christian world. He's a Presbyterian bat, uh, pastor. He built a mega church in New York City, the most secular place in this country, and was successful. So he's like a master of evangelism. So a lot of what I'm saying is his stuff. I tell you, look him up if you don't know him. So Tim would say that you got to get people to the place where they want the gospel to be true before they, were, before they will ever accept that it is true. So this is why you're wasting your time giving someone all the evidence for the resurrection, you know, and proof of the historical Jesus and all of that stuff, if they don't even want it to be true in the first place. doesn't matter what evidence you give them. They don't want it. So you got to spend enough time with them until they finally get to the point where they trust you enough to be vulnerable 
And you may get to the point where they actually admit to you that the way that they are living their life is leaving them less than fulfilled. And they're having a lot of problems. And at that point, it's the opening to you and you can say, you know what, I hear all these things you're struggling with. And here's the thing, I have better resources, you know, for dealing with what it is that you're going through. And then you can tell them your story and you can tell them about Jesus. But they got to get to the place where they want it to be true first before they're going to hear anything. So they got to want it to be true. And then you can start getting into all kinds of interesting discussions, like discussions about things like identity. You see, today, everything's about identity, right? Would you agree with that? Everything's identity today. So Tim Keller would say, as Christians, we have an identity that is received and not achieved. That's not true, however, for a lot of people today, the, you know, living sort of according to this philosophy, the secular humanist philosophy, where they think the meaning to life is about creating your true authentic self. Meaning, hey, I get to decide, you know, I am whatever I say I am, and you have to accept it. That's kind of the way of the world right now. So when you decide who it is that you're gonna be, you make up your own identity, that's something you achieve for yourself. Nobody gives that to you. However, once you create this identity for yourself, then you have to keep demonstrating over and over again that you're faithful to it. So there's sort of a performance aspect to it. If you meet somebody who subscribes to that, and you can get them to trust you enough, again, so that they'll be honest, I bet what they're likely to tell you is that living that way is completely draining and impossible to live up to. As they create this true self, this identity for themselves that they have chosen, and they share it with the world, and they demand that their true self not only be accepted, but that it should be celebrated by everyone, well, maybe what they didn't expect when they started down that journey is that for their peers, the people in their peer group, to criticize them so harshly when they couldn't live according to their true self in a perfect manner. So for them, over time, there will be guilt, there will be shame that they feel because they can't live perfectly according to the rules that they have set up for themselves. And they can't handle, handle people calling them out for it. So when your identity is an invention, and then others judge you based on your performance of that invention, well, then there's tremendous pressure in that. And you can never live up to it. And then for people today and some of our young people immersed in that culture, if, if that wasn't difficult enough, on top of that, when you have no sufficient moral source for your personal moral code, you can't explain then where your sense of right and wrong comes from. And so the only way that you can survive that is to label everyone else who disagrees with you, either a bigot or racist or homophobe, so on and so forth, because you're so deeply insecure about the identity that you have created for yourself, you know that it can't hold up to scrutiny. It can't hold up under its own merits. And so you have to lash out at everyone else. So if you could ever get someone to open up to you enough to admit that they have become a slave to this master that they have created for themselves, this false and invented identity, and that it has left them less than fulfilled, well, then that gives you the opportunity to share that Jesus is the only master who, if you get him, he will fulfill you, and if you fail him, he will forgive you. 
So I hope today I haven't muddied the waters too much, so much that I've discouraged you from evangelizing. All of us are called as Christians to go out and to make disciples. And so the only point I'm trying to tell you is that the church, if the church tells you that's really easy, all you got to do is come up with a good story, well, then they're doing you a disservice. But I'll also say evangelism is not so complicated that it requires you to have a sociology degree or a degree in theology. No, the truth is you already have all the skills that you need to be a successful evangelist. Let me ask you, have any of you in this room ever had a friend? I know Jimmy's still working on that, but the rest of you? Uh, yes, you've had a friend. Did you already know that friend the day you came out of the womb, or did you have to meet him at some point? Of course you had to meet him at some point. Did you have to spend time with him, hearing each other's stories so you could build a foundation of trust? Of course. Did that happen overnight? No, it did not. You see where I'm going with this. All of you know how to make friends. All I'm asking for you to do is to go out and make some new ones, preferably ones who aren't already Christians. And then just be a good friend to them and listen. Listen to their stories. And when the time is right, the Spirit will tell you that it's time for you to share your story, share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, and you may possibly change the course of their life. So with all that in mind, let our prayer this morning be this. Why don't you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, change the hardness in our hearts here this morning. And remove from us the fear of speaking with those who may disagree with us. So from this day forward, let us be bold and let us also be loving and kind. Let us be good listeners and let us care about those who are struggling. So Father, we see people in this world having such a hard time and we see the bitterness they feel when their beliefs are failing them, when their beliefs are failing to satisfy them. So help us to show others that Jesus is the true answer to what they have been searching for this whole time. He is the happy ending to their story. It's Jesus who provides all of this. So thank you so much, Father. We lift this prayer up to you today through your son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.